January the 15th, 88, and um, there was a lot of people in my life that was real glad that I did. Um, I, I have to say now, so, I, so I, I'm, I'm afraid I'll forget at the end of this deal, um, I cannot tell you how blessed we are to be here and what a true experience it's been. Uh, uh, Peter and these guys at the Sober House and, and, and these, you know, it's a weird deal. We were, I, I don't experience this very often. I can only think of one other time in my whole life that I've ever experienced this stuff. We've been here for three days. And I told Chris this morning, I said, I'm going to weep leaving here. I have met so many cool people who were doing the deal who I felt instantly connected to. Within the fellowship, we're always, always supposed to feel that way. But the truth of the matter is, is that oftentimes it takes time to get to know somebody and this kind of stuff. Buddy, I just, I just want to pick all of you up like this and carry you back to Texas. I do. It would just be a little crowded in the plane, but damn, it would be great when we got there, you know? Uh, I want to thank Peter for his talk on Friday night. Uh, smooth Peter, we're going to call him. What a succinct way of putting that stuff. You see, I can spend as much time floundering around as he can saying what he wants to say. This is, this is good. And Chris, last night, it's always a scream. I've heard Chris a thousand times. I, I, I grew up with him. I got drunk with him. I, I, we got loaded together. Uh, the funny part about listening to Chris talk is this stuff. I know you guys kind of take it for granted because you just met him, but I knew him when he was a knife-wielding maniac. I mean, I knew him when he was so goofy that you didn't even want to be around him. I mean, he, he lived with me, and he, he used to bring these beasts home, these women that just... <laughs> you can imagine what our household was like. I've got this, this, this wife that, that loves me and, 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 and is getting very nervous around my alcoholism, and, and Chris is living with me, and he's full-blown in his alcoholism, and I've got this, got this little daughter that's four years old, and, and she's all freaked by the whole deal. And, and, and I mean, the place is just... A, it's just a nut house, you know, and to see the way things are today, uh, it's an amazing deal. It's a, it's a deal in contrast of where we were and where we are now. Um, we talked yesterday morning in this, uh, when we were talking about, in our workshop, about Chris's experience, and for a lot of you guys, your, your tough part of recovery was before you got here, you know. It was tough getting to AA, well, you know what? My deal was so simple. Chris grabbed me by the hand and says, come on, you knucklehead, let's go to AA. And that was it. I've got one sobriety date, January 15th of 88. He took me to my first meeting. You see, he had been sober two months. And he hauled me into this meeting. Now, but I know that some of you are just like me, though, and that once you got to AA, things didn't get real swell, you know? I mean, you, if you take booze out of the picture, things are going to get some better, right? They, they do. But, and for a while around our house, things did get better. We had, we had good times, and, 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 and I'm not a nutcase anymore, and I'm going to work, and I'm, you know, we're, we're trying to rebuild the life, and, and, and my wife's having little babies left and right, and it's just, I mean, it was, we're... Three girls, tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, you know? I run, I run through the lives of women single, and then what do I get when I get married? Three daughters to watch over. Life is good. Um, and so, for a couple of years in our, in our group, everything went great. And i got to tell you this kind of stuff, and it, and it, and it, because I've talked to so many people that went through the same thing that I went through, you see? 
middle-of-the-road solution. You know what that's talking about now, right? Middle-of-the-road solution, the, the BS, the, the, the war story stuff, the dis open discussion meetings ad nauseum, all of this. This stuff will, you can, you can stay in a relief area of recovery for a long, long time. You see, just not drinking is better than being a drunk, you see. But it is not the freedom that we seek. It's not the freedom that we want, you see. But for so many of us, we miss that part because nobody ever showed us that there was another way. I was not around anybody that exemplified freedom in alcoholism, uh, freedom in, in, in AA. They all got hung up in the fellowship part of the picture. You understand how that stuff is, you know. In short order, in a couple of years, I'm convinced that recovery from the disease of alcoholism is about going to as many meetings as you can go to and getting as many friends and drinking a lot of coffee and telling a lot of off-color jokes. And you know what I'm saying? It, it was just staying busy doing that kind of stuff. Well, the problem is if you're a real deal alcoholic like I am, you'll run out there downrange some and then you'll just flat run out of steam. You see, then the meetings, how many of you guys, I need some hands. How many of you guys have ever gone to an AA meeting and left more screwed up than when you went? <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. See, see, and this is the deal. And so we go and we, we sit and the meetings get goofy and there's no solution. And we know there's no solution deep inside. We know there's no solution, but we don't know what else to do. We're terrified that we're going to go back and drink or use again. So we'll just stay and we'll just keep coming. Well, what happens to a lot of us, and that's the reason why success rates have gotten so bad within our fellowship worldwide, it's not, it's not just here, it's every place, is that, is that we run out of steam and we get sicker and sicker. Untreated alcoholism, you see, the, the discussion meeting, the open discussion meeting, and those crazy meetings do not treat the spiritual malady. They do not treat the internal condition that's kicking your rear, you see? And that's what's so devastating about the deal. And so we do what we have to do. We get sicker and sicker and sicker until we have no choice but to treat our alcoholism. And how does a good drunk treat his alcoholism? He gets drunk. He gets drunk or he uses, you see. And that's why it's so tragic, you see. And then it becomes, you become, then the fear creeps up because you're terrified now of what's happening. You know that the solution is not in the meeting that you're in, and so you go, what do I do? I don't, you see, I'm convinced that most people that go back out don't want to drink. There just was no solution there, and they had no choice but to drink. Drunks drink. That's what we do. I'm never surprised. I got, guys I sponsor, when they call me in the middle of the night, Myers, you'll never guess what happened. And I'm going... <laughs> I can hear this gal's high heel shoes on top of a bar someplace. He's in some strip club someplace. And I'm going, yeah, I know exactly what happened, man. I know exactly what happened. The middle of the road solution, kick your butt, and you're back there again, you see. So imagine, if you will, how crazy I'm feeling at seven years sober. I'm seven years from my last drink and my last drug. And it's all coming apart. Chris has now moved away. He doesn't live with us anymore. He lives down in the hill country. So he's 300 miles back down toward the center part of Texas. And, and, and I'm still going to these sick meetings, six meetings a week. And I'm still going, just trying to hold it together. But I'm just unraveling everything about my life. 
I can't stand my job. I cannot stand the woman I'm married to. I cannot stand those kids. I just, ugh. The spiritual stuff is just choking me to death, you see? And every day, the thoughts of, of suicide, the thoughts of drinking, the thoughts of just escaping this whole thing become so real to me, you see? I never, Scout's Honor, I never thought about killing myself when I was drinking before I sobered up. But at seven, but at seven years sober, it's all I can think about. It is the only solution that seems to be a solution. Dang, you see? So I go, one night, we, we, we got these little 7-Elevens. They're like little ice houses. I, I guess you guys got them here, little grocery stores. And, and I'm standing in front of this beer cooler, and this lady's tapping me on the shoulder, going, Hey, mister, are you going to get something or not? And I just kind of went like this, and, and I realized where I was. You see, I had no business being there. I'm just kind of checked out in front of this glass cooler looking at these 12 packs of beer, you see. I don't know how long I've been standing there, but obviously it was long enough to hack this lady off. And she says, you know, get out. So, I mean, it just get, I had no business being there, guys. I'm not there picking up eggs and looking at the beer. I got no reason to be in that store except to get drunk. I'm that close to my drink. And I went back home and I called Chris and I said, Chris, you, man, you've got to help me again, buddy. I'm dying here. And Chris is happy, joyous, and free, and he's gotten plugged into a bunch of big book thumpers, and he's got a great sponsor, and he's doing the deal like this. And the contrast is so real, you can taste it. So Chris says, don't do anything stupid, and I'm going to be in Dallas for an AA talk in two or three days, and, and I'll see if we will ask around, and I'll see if I can find you a literature-based meeting. And, oh, by the way, this is what Chris is telling me on the phone, oh, by the way, haven't I been telling you for three years to get out of that group? Yeah, yeah. But you understand that. Everybody in here that's sobered up in a group, you understand what that allegiance is to that group. You feel so tied to those people. They're your friends. They're your buddies. They know everything about you. You love these men and women, and you cannot stand the thought of leaving and going someplace else, you see. Even if you know you're dying, that, 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 that draw is so strong. Well, i got to look here a second and see. I didn't notice what time I started, and I don't want to talk over. I'm so sorry. I guess I can wait for the smokers to start edging toward the door, and I know it's time. <laughs> 60 seconds, click, and 13 people will head that direction. <laughs> so so Chris, this is what happens. I'll make it quick. Uh, uh, Chris comes to town, and he gets hooked up with, these, the, with this group of big book thumpers. And Chris calls me, and he says, buddy, I got the guy. Go see this man. And I'm going, well, Chris, you know, I'm kind of busy, and I, you know, I, I'll, I'll just... <laughs> Chris says, let me get this straight. A week ago, you're suicidal, and you think you're going to check out, and now you're telling me you're too busy to go call this man. Well, screw you, you see? I mean, it's kind of like that. And, he, and, and he, says, he says, here's his name and telephone number. Do what you want to do. Well, I go see this guy, and I knock on his door, and the door opens, and here's this crusty old guy standing there. And he looks at me, and he looks down, and he looks back up like this, and he goes, where's your big book? <laughs> and I said, well, Mr. Bishop, um, I don't know where my big book is. I haven't seen it for years. <laughs> and he says, well, here's mine. Don't ever come back over here without it. Yes, sir. Now, at this point, I'm looking. His, his porch is like this, and I'm looking at my car out on the street, and I'm going, 
I can run and get in that car and I can be out of here just like that, man. See, I know that I'm getting ready to walk in to uncharted waters for this old boy. So I, I, I get in there and he starts taking me through the work. And, and, and it's quick and it's fast and it's not painless, um, but it's embarrassing, you see, because I'm seven years sober and I'm having to admit to this old dude I didn't admit it at first, but he figured it out. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about what's in that big book. And that's why when we talk to you guys, and I, and I, if you don't pick up anything from this weekend, what I'm praying that you'll pick up is that you are responsible for your recovery. The book tells us that we placed ourselves beyond human aid. It's true. Your group's not going to keep you sober. Your buddy's not going to keep you sober. Your sponsor's not going to keep you sober. God's going to keep you sober. And the only way I know of that effectively gets you free of the crap and gets you cleared way to God is this big book. And you've got to know what's in it. You cannot be spoon-fed AA. You cannot be... You know what I'm saying. You, you can't. You see? And that's why, why, why it's, so, it's so hugely important that you have a big book and that you know what's in it. And then when you go into that sick meeting and Sally Sue starts talking about something goofy, you know it's not AA. You know it's not in this big book. You see? I didn't know that. People kept talking about stuff and I'd go, yeah, yeah, that sounds bitching, man. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, and the whole time I'm thinking it's in here. You see? And so when it comes time for this man to stick out his hand and say, would you please help me with this work? I go, yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you what Sally Sue told me one time. And I start telling her, telling him about this goofy stuff that she said. It sounds great. Did Sally Sue mean me any malice or any harm when she told me that? No, no. But it was not a message with depth and weight. It was not our message. It was not our solution. It was Sally Sue's goofy opinion about what recovery was about. And the saddest part of that stuff is, is guys, my doctrine in AA became Sally Sue's goofy opinion. And Bob's and Bubba's and Joseph's, and you, you got the picture, right? I have this big collective mass of, of crap that's guaranteed to kill you. It's guaranteed. <laughs> So in its basic form, what this big book is, is a bullshit sifter. It is. It's a crap sifter. What we do is, is that we take everything we hear in Alcoholics Anonymous and in CA and some of our sister fellowships, we take everything that we hear and we sift it through the words in this book and we find out what's truth and what's opinion. And the opinion may be great and we may be able to use it in certain aspects of our life. But it is not the solution that will separate you from the drink or the drug. It is not what takes us to the freedom that we seek. And so that's why it was so important. Well, so picture the situation. Now I'm sitting in a meeting. He, Clifford takes me to my first meeting at Primary Purpose Group, the finest AA group in the world, I might add. And you knew I was going to say that. And they're all big book thumpers, and they're all, um, we have nothing but discussion meetings. I mean, nothing but, but uh, literature-based meetings like this. Well, that sounded weird when I said that. We have, we have nothing but literature-based meetings. And I'm going, wait a minute, we don't have any discussion meetings? I said, no. What we have is we have three meetings a week, and we're going to study the big book at every meeting. And I'm just kind of looking at the ceiling, and he says, I bet you think you're going to be bored spitless, right? And I said, you know what, Clifford? That's exactly what I was just thinking. I'm thinking that I'm going to be bored in six months to tears. And he said, well, maybe you will be. 
Maybe you will be. But my experience of doing this for the last 16 or 17 years, studying every meeting that we have, is that life will get more and more exciting, and you won't believe what happens to your life. Okay, so by now, I'm believing everything Cliff says. At least I'm willing to entertain the thought that he's not going to bullshit me about this stuff and that he's going to tell me the truth. And so I'm going, well, if three meetings a week is okay, why don't we have another meeting every week? I mean, every night. Why don't we have this every day? And he goes, because you have a responsibility. And I'm going, yeah, I work and have three daughters. And he said, no, 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 you have a responsibility to AA. And coming to our three meetings a week is not it. Your responsibility is to take what you learn here and go find a drunk. Oh, now, now there is a novel idea. You see, the book tells us from the title page all the way over to the end of this thing that our responsibility is to have a psychic change and then go carry that message to another drunk or another addict. That's what it's telling us, you see. But we conveniently, worldwide, we've conveniently taken that part out of the picture, you see. And we become very self-centered and focused on ourselves on this stuff. And we read this thing, our responsibility is to sober up, period, end of story. But that's not it, you see. And so this is the lesson, this is the most valuable lesson in Alcoholics Anonymous that I learned was that, so I'm over at Primary Purpose Group now for two years. So now I've been sober, what is that, nine years now? And I'm so much better. Guys, I cannot tell you how things have changed in my life as a direct result of being there for those two years. But I'm still, we were sitting in a meeting one night. You know how you kind of just look at people's faces, you know, when you're in a meeting, you know, like, you kind of look around like this. And I'm noticing that these guys are different from me still. I'm seeing things in their face that I'm not feeling in me. And I'm going, damn. You know, it's not me. I, I, it, it's like we're doing the same thing. We're studying the work. I'm getting the, the information. This, this cat next to me, we know the same stuff. This girl over here, we know the same stuff. But I look in her eyes, and she's flat on fire. She's flat on fire. And you can see it. You can feel it. You can feel her vibrating. I touch her shoulder, and you can tell that she's, that she's healthy. And so I pulled Clifford aside after the meeting. We walked into this little parlor thing off the side of this meeting, and I said, Clifford, I need to ask you a question. I said, you know what? Um, I, I'm different from these guys, aren't I? And he just shakes his head, yes. And I said, Clifford, tell me why it is that I can't seem to get this. And he said, Myers, he said, I tell you what, I've been telling you for two years what you need to do. And you simply won't listen. I never said I was smart. I just, I'm also real arrogant and I'm, I'm, I'm real, I, I get real contemptuous of things, you see. I want to judge something before I experience it, you see. I'll judge you in a heartbeat. I'll judge, I'll judge programs in a heartbeat, which is just crazy, you see. And he said, I've been telling you from day one what your responsibility, what is your primary purpose in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, yeah, it's to carry the message. And I, he said, yes. Why aren't you doing that? And I said, well, I'm here all the time. He says, no, no, no. We got a group here full of people that have recovered. They don't need what you got. I mean, they, they already have it. You know, they are already well. And he said, you see that list up on the board? And I said, what? You mean that speaker list thing? I said, yeah. And he says, why aren't you signed up every week to go to some of these wind-up joints? And I said, well, I... Clifford, I'm a busy guy. I got three daughters and a child. You know, like this, like this. And 
and, and, and I swear, I love Clifford like a dad. And he, he, he looked at me and he said, Myers, you, you really need to just go away. You know, I, I, he, see, he said, see, I love you and I want you to stay, but I don't want to see you stay and die. And that's what will happen here if you don't go. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to go to Salvation Army Wednesday night and carry a big book message over there. And he knows how I hate the Salvation Army. I do. (laughs) I'd rather talk anywhere than the Salvation Army. I I love it now. I go every Sunday night to the Salvation Army. I I love it now. But in those days, it's the sea of black men who have, we just can't seem to, it's just, I'm judging them and they're judging me and it's just a nightmare and stuff. So I said, okay, Clifford, if that's what it takes, I'll go. Now, The reason I'm telling you this stuff here, guys, is because this is the path that every one of us walk. Everybody that picks up a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, everybody that's in a fellowship of CA or NA is faced with this dilemma. I'm excited as I can be to be sober. I am filled with with gratitude about being here. Gratitude is an action word, guys. And the thing about it is, is that the smiles I see here will not last if you don't carry this message. It will not. It will not. And I, and I love every one of you. And you can treat, pretend I'm your big brother, man, and I'm telling you the truth. You'll, you'll run downrange, and the steam will let out of you, and the spiritual stuff will just fall by the wayside, and you'll be going... What happened to it? What happened to that Sunday morning when we were all jazzed up? You see? I'll tell you what happened to it. You selfish, self-centered son of a gun. I'll tell you exactly what happened. You took the greatest gift that God ever gave man, a chance to help somebody else free themselves of this stuff, and you kept it to yourself. And there ain't nothing in this whole wide world that'll kick your ass faster than that selfishness and self-centeredness, you see? And that's what Clifford and those guys have been trying to tell me. Our group conducts 23 meetings a week outside of the three meetings that we have. Every night of the week, our group is out carrying a message of recovery to some wind-up joint, to some, some hospital, some jail, some something. Hundreds of us out there doing this stuff. Our group, one time we figured it up, talks to almost 800 people a week carrying the message from this book, you see? Because it was so important to understand. And once you understand the concept that that's your job, and you get back and look at the book again, you realize that every page screams that word. Every page tells you that that's what your responsibility is, you see? If you had your big book, let me just read this to you real quick. Step 12, which you all know by heart, but I want you to listen to this. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and blah, 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 blah. The first line of this thing, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message. What was the message we're supposed to carry? That we had had a spiritual awakening. That's it. How simple could that be? You guys that are, that are crawfishing away from 12-step work because you're afraid, what are you afraid of? It said right there what we're going to do. It's that. you got a job to do. Your marching orders today is to get plugged in with somebody, go through the work, have that psychic change, that spiritual awakening, and then go carry that message. The new guy wants to know what that, what that sparkle is in your eye. 
You see? Early AA, the reason they were so successful is that they didn't get watered down and fragmented with all this other stuff. They didn't get all the other issues involved. They didn't get all the other stuff. They didn't give a rat's patootie how bad your day was. They didn't care. You see, what they cared was, has this man had a psychic change yet? And if he hasn't, why? That's what we want to know. When, I, when I'm working with guys, guys that I sponsor, God bless every one of them, when I sponsor those guys, I only want to know two things. How much time did you spend with God today, and how much time did you spend carrying the message of recovery to another alcoholic? That's it! I don't care about your crappy day. I don't care about your screwed up relationship. I really don't give a rat, you know what, about your job. I mean, I do on one level, guys. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be an asshole about this stuff. I do on one level. But in the big picture, I really don't care. Because in the bigger picture, as you get healthier, as you get plugged in, I've never seen it fail. You show me a man that's plugged into God and that makes a commitment to go out and find some place every week that they can go carry the message. And I'll show you a man that has no job problems and has no relationship problems and has no problems at all. You see? Yes. I'm not making light of the problems, guys. Scout's honor. I'm not making light of them. I understand life looms large and things get complicated and some of our lives get really tore up at times. But the book keeps telling us over and over and over again that if we'll submit to a simple program of action, that God will solve all of our problems and not just the booze and not just the drugs. You see, it's an amazing thing to see. The two common threads that runs through our big book are, 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 are willingness and action. And look at how many times those themes are repeated in the book as you read through there. We know you're here today. We assume that everybody here wants to take the necessary action. I mean, takes the necessary. We, we know that you're willing because you're here. You see, what separates the men from the boys, what separates the people that get hung up in the fellowship and those that are willing to get involved in the program is this thing about action. It's an amazing thing. I'll go talk to a group in Dallas, not mine, but I'll go talk to another group in Dallas. And um, and afterwards, and, we'll, and I'll talk about this same stuff. I'll talk about how important it is to get commitments and to go out and to carry what we know to be the truth to a recovering, to somebody trying to recover. And And afterwards, I'll have 15 men come up afterwards and say, can you tell me where you go to carry the message? And I got a list. I got it. I carry it with me. I said, here it is. There they are. All the places that we go, here are the times, here's my telephone number, call me, and we'll go. Well, when do you go next? Well, this is Monday night, we go Wednesday night. I go to, I go to a place called Homeward Bound, which is a skid row wind-up joint, on Wednesday night. Have been for six years. Uh, 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 and I say, come with me. And they go, I've heard a million times, they go, well, oh, you mean this Wednesday? Oh, well, uh, you know. And there it is, and I'm going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Have a nice life, you prick. <laughs> I just, I, it, it just drives me to distraction. You see, we, what we do is we, we walk lockstep right up to the point to where the freedom is, and we stop, just like this. You see, everything you want in life, everything you dreamed of in life, Everything your wife wanted, everything your daddy and mama wanted, everything you wanted is right there. 
and we stop. Just short of it. You see? Damn it. And I just, I keep wanting to reach out and grab them and jerk them through, and they won't come. You see? You have to understand. Freedom in this deal is like a big old fire, right? I'd love a fire today. <laughs> it's like a big old fire. It's like, and, and everybody within the fellowship is dancing around the outside of the fire. But in order to be free, you have to go through the fire. And yeah, it's weird in there, but when you come out the other side, you're completely changed. Completely changed. You see? Go through the fire. Do what you have to do to go through this stuff. Study the book, have that psychic change, and then go through. You see? And once you're on the other side, you'll go, son of a bitch, this is the coolest stuff I've ever experienced. And you'll get a, you know, well, we'll talk about that. I want to relate a couple of fast stories for you because I think that the stories tell you in a better way um, what happens in these cases when these guys will submit to, to, to this deal. Quickly, I'll tell you, there was this guy named Terry that I met. Chris has heard this story. Chris, you can go smoke. Uh, <laughs> There, this Terry was Terry was a, a, a street guy in Oak Cliff. Oak Cliff is a kind of a real rough area of Dallas, and and he was living on the street and he was sleeping in the back of a pickup truck that somebody had left on the side of the road in the middle of the summer. And the bugs had eaten this guy up, and he had just a pair of shorts on. That's all he had, and he was drunk. And a, and a gang, a, a bunch of hoods, found him one night laying in the back of this pickup, and they drug him out of the back of this pickup by his ankles. And his face was the first thing that hit the ground. So imagine, if you will, I'm talking at this treatment place, and we're, I'm standing at this little podium thing like this, and i got these guys out here, and I'm looking across at these faces of these busted-up drunks, and I look over here, and here's Terry with this red hair sticking up like this. It looks like a gerbil had licked it all out of place. It was just kind of like this. And his face is all bloodied like this, and his teeth are gone. And the guy just looks like a mess, and I'm thinking... All right, I'm not that healthy. In my arrogance, I'm thinking, God, don't let that man ask me to sponsor him. <laughs> he was just so scary looking. I mean, he just, you know. Well, you guessed it. God had better plans and other plans. And afterwards, this man makes a beeline to me and he says, I'm going to die if I don't get some help. And it sounds to me like you know what you're doing. Would you carry me through this work? And I said, Yeah. <laughs> Well, since this is the program of rigorous honesty, what I really did was I went, yeah. <laughs> Terry was not real clean. And uh, so we go do this stuff. And, and um, Terry doesn't have a big book, and I gave him a big book. And he starts reading this stuff, and we start working through the work. Now, I'm going out there. I went out there the next day, and I spent two or three hours with him reading through the book, and we kind of got through his, his, his first, second, and third step stuff, and, and everything is going great. And, and we get ready for the inventory, and I'm thinking, you know, this is when most guys wash out. If they're middle-of-the-roady kind of guys, they'll get to the inventory part, and they'll say, well, you know, I'm busy, and, you know, it wasn't that bad after all, and they're gone, you see. Terry calls me two days later, and... Um, from the treatment place, and he's uh, got his inventory done, and he wants me to come do it. And I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going, damn, this is one I hoped would wash out, you know, because he's just so unlovable. He just, so we, 
we get out there. I, I do these. I used to do these. 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 Here, these fist steps. We. I did hundreds of fist steps in this park out there. By the way, I got to tell you, one of these times sitting out there, I'd always sit out there, and on days when it was cold, we'd sit in my truck and hear these this cat's fist step. And and uh, one day I looked up in the rearview mirror, and there was a police car behind me. And I'm watching him, and we're there for like two hours, and this police car is still sitting behind me like this. And finally, I can't take it anymore. I said, hey, bud, just hang on a second. This is not Terry in the car. This is somebody else. And I get out and I walk around, and I ask that policeman. I said, is there a problem? And he said, we don't know. We're just trying to figure this stuff out, you know. The, 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 you guys, you're always out here with these guys, and you're always sitting in your truck for a long time, and we can't figure it out. I'm going... <laughs> I don't know. Some of the things we have to go through to do this. So anyway, so anyway, we're, today we're sitting outside. Now I got to tell you this. I'm not, I'm not gay, but I got to tell you this. I flat fell in love with Terry that day. There's, there was this. We were sitting at this park bench, and 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 he's facing. He's looking over my shoulder this way, and the sun is setting behind me. And the sun is shining in this guy's eyes. And I go, this guy's got the damnedest green eyes you've ever seen in your life. And at the treatment place, they made him cut his hair all short. So he's got the short red hair and these green eyes. And when he closes his mouth, he looks just, he looks great. <laughs> but he starts talking. Now, you guys, you have to understand now, this is less than a week from when he was pulled out of that truck, okay? And so here he is sitting there at, at this park bench telling me his fifth step, and we're going through this stuff. And he's seeing all of his truth, and he's seeing this stuff like this. And we get finished, and I said, Terry, tell me what you just saw. Tell me what you know now that you didn't know before. And he said, Myers, well, I see that I'm a selfish, self-centered son of a bitch, and I made lots of bad decisions based on fear and selfishness. And I went, yeah! That's it. That's it. It's every sponsor's prayer that a guy will see that truth. You see, Terry realized that the booze wasn't his problem and the drugs wasn't his problem. He's a selfish, self-centered guy and he's full of fear and he makes all kinds of goofy decisions based on that. And that's where the drama of his life came from. It didn't come from the booze. That's why so many of us, when we stop drinking, we get sicker and sicker and the drama continues. Because we still got the selfishness and self-centeredness and the fear kicking our butts, you see? And we've got to get rid of that. And that's what the inventory is about. Because if you can see that, you can identify it. And if you can identify it, you can take it to God in step six and seven, and you can get clear of it. And there is no feeling in the world greater than knowing that you've got an ironclad picture for the first time in your life. You've got a picture of what you really are. And sometimes it isn't very pretty. You know, it's sometimes it's not. I simply could not look at myself in the mirror. When I did my fifth step with Cliff Bishop, I, it was, I couldn't, for weeks, I could not look at myself in the mirror because I realized the illusion is that the booze is my problem and I only affect me. You know, and we know how crazy that crap is, you see. So Terry does the work and he starts this thing of coming to our meeting. Terry has no car. So he has to take a bus. Oak Cliff is 25 miles, 20 miles from where our meeting hall is. He rides the bus there. He rides the bus back after the deal. He does his deal. He's, you see, he's willing to go to any length, and he knows what he has to do, you see. And he told me one day, he says, I need to learn more because I can't help anybody by what, with what I know. And I'm going, <laughs> no, no kidding, Terry. And, and so he starts doing this stuff. Well, Terry comes in one day, and he says, Myers, I need to borrow $5 from you. I said, Terry, I already told you I don't loan money to drunks. 
And he says, it's important, and I'll have it back to you tomorrow. I says, deal. And I loaned him five bucks. The next day when he came in, he had a bucket and a little squeegee and a little towel, and he dropped it off by the front door, and we had our meeting. And after the meeting, he starts heading out toward the bus, and he's got this bucket and this little squeegee and this deal. And I said, Terry, where are you going? He said, i got a job to do. I said, a job? You're still in treatment. What do you mean? And he says, well, i got this gig washing windows, and uh, uh, I need some money. I need money so I can get a car so I can haul drunks. I said, sounds like a good plan to me, man. Let's see what happens to this. Like this. And so what Terry does is Terry enlists the help of two or three other guys in treatment, and they got this little window washing deal. And he came in one day, and he says, check it out, dude. And he hands me a card, a business card. And it's got his name on it, Terry, somebody or another, window washer. And I thought, God dang, this is just the coolest. You see what I'm saying? Terry's not sitting in his bunk lamenting over the fact that he's got a screwed up face now and that he's homeless. Terry got off his rear and started taking the necessary action to get better. He submitted to a process that was going to take him someplace else. You see? Make a long story short, Terry grew and grew and grew, and he starts sponsoring these guys. In those days, they kept those guys 90 days at Homeward Bound. And by the end of 90 days, Terry was sponsoring five guys. And he's got these little guys, and he's carrying these meetings, and he's chairing these stuff in the house, and he's just doing terrific. He gets out, and he gets a job as a long-haul trucker. He finally gets all of his legal stuff taken care of, and he gets his commercial license back, and he's this long-haul trucker. He calls me one night, and he says, uh, Myers, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy. And I said, no, Terry, I don't, I don't think anything you do is crazy anymore, buddy. And he goes, I, I want to tell you that I got to Tennessee on this long-haul trucking thing, which is way across the country from where we are, and, and I looked for an AA meeting, and there wasn't one. And I went, no kidding, what did you do? And I'm starting to get like a sponsor will get. I'm starting to get sweaty here. I'm going like, you know, come on, buddy, you can do this, man. And he goes, well, I went to the coffee shop, and I asked somebody if they knew anybody that was a drunk. And we started an AA meeting. <laughs> and I'm looking at the telephone like this, and I'm going, excuse me? He said, you know, chapter 11, A Vision for You, you told me it was about how to start a group. And I said, it's it. That's what it's all about. And he said, well, I read it, and I realized I had some big books, and we're just going to start a group. And every time I come through, this is on my regular route, and every time I come through, we're going to have a meeting. And I went, dang, this is just a clue. Well, over the next two years, Terry would call me from everywhere. He'd call me from Montana. He'd call me from California, everywhere he was. And Terry's going, but you wouldn't believe this meeting last night. They were talking about something like this. And I said, and I bet you didn't let it go too long, did you? And he says, no way. And he says, <laughs> you know, sponsors dream of coming across guys that are like this, that get all jazzed up and want to do this kind of stuff. Terry's living in Montana today, and he's got a wife, and he's got some little little babies, and they're freezing their ass off in Montana. And, and <laughs> go figure. But he's doing the deal and, and, and doing what he needs to do. You, you guys get the drift, right? You understand what the deal is. Um, my greatest fear in AA is that when I come across this kind of enthusiasm, this kind of cool stuff, that what will happen is, is that you will hoard it, that you will keep it for yourself, and that you'll get focused in on each other as buddies 
and you won't realize that there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of drunks out there that will die unless they get the message from you. It is nothing but arrogance on our part to assume that these guys will hear about AA and that they'll get here, or that they'll hear about CA or NA and that they'll get there. It won't happen, guys. Our world is full of drunks and addicts that will never hear the message unless you're there to carry it. You must be there. And it is not comfortable in the beginning. But after a while, we were laughing the other night. Somebody asked me, I think I shared this with you Saturday morning. Was that yesterday? It seems like forever. God, it's just like. Uh, some guy asked me one time, he said, Myers, you know, you've been coming out here to this place for six years. Why do you do it? And I wished I could have told him some esoteric answer. I wish I could have told him some, some, something cool. But the truth of the matter was, and I had to come to grips with it, 12-step work is the funnest thing I have ever done in my whole life. I would rather 12-step some drunk than I would anything else. There's maybe only one thing I can think in life that I like more, but we can't talk about it in the podium. <laughs> and my wife would have my nuts on a lodgepole if I did, too. <laughs> but, but, you under, but once you experience what it's like, to get face-to-face -face with somebody who is dying of an incurable disease, of something that is chronic in nature and destined to kick their ass. Once you get into a situation and you see them go from, screw you, buddy, to, well, can you tell me a little bit about this stuff right here, to, God damn, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Do you think I could do something like that? You see, once you experience that stuff, Dara, Dara Vasquez, I'll bust her anonymity for the world, too, like this. I love this girl with a passion. She's, she's a, a, an AA Nazi, and she's just a, what a gal. She, I mean, she's, she's been through the ringer, uh, 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 she's, but she's one of these women in AA who is strong in the word and works with, I don't know how many hundreds of men, she's, or women she's worked with over the, over the years. Uh, but Dara and I went out to this place one night, and, and we get finished talking like this, and it was one of those kind of deals where when I, I finished, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking over at Dara, and, and I'm kind of like this. And I rubbed the back of my head, and the hair was standing up on the back of my neck like this. And we walk out in the hallway, and everybody kind of falls back, and it's just Dara and I walking down this long, you know, institutional hallway, kind of plasticky looking, and, and we walk down like this, and I go, did you feel that? And she goes, yeah, I felt it. I said, you coming back? And she goes, yeah, I'm coming back. And, buddy, it was that kind of feeling that made me know that this busted-up drunk had a purpose in life. You see, our arrogance tells us that we're important. Our arrogance tells us that we are special. Well, you know what? Collectively, we've made a pretty big mess of things, haven't we? I mean, our jobs suck, our relationships are bad, our kids hate us and are scared of us, and you see what I'm saying? But to be able to come to grips with the fact that my solution now has taken me to a place to where I am no longer the man that I was, you see, I wanted desperately not to be a bully. I wanted desperately not to be so full of fear that I wanted to hit everybody I saw. I wanted desperately to not be able to not have to drink a beer before I went to the grocery store, you see? I wanted so desperately to be able to walk into my living room and have my kids not duck. You see, they were so, in my house, when I opened the front door, you could go one, two, three, click, and you could hear the back door close. My kids would leave, you see, because they don't know what I'm going to be when I get home. 
They don't know whether I'm going to be some goofy maniac that's wanting to push everybody around. You see, I'm a scrawny guy. I didn't need to tell you that. I'm a scrawny guy. And when I was a kid, I was even scrawnier. And I used to get the crap kicked out of me all the time. I hate a bully more than anything on God's green earth. There's nothing I hate worse than a bully. And yet that's what I had become. You understand? That's what I've become. A physical, I pushed my wife and I pushed my kids and I manipulated them and I yelled and I was just, you got the picture. I hate this shit when I do this. Um, damn it. Chris told me one time, before I sobered up, Chris told me, he said, he said, um, I was working on this tractor outside, and, and I, I was, I was, I'm not real good with tools anyway, although I think I am, but I'm not. And I, and I, I was, I kept dropping screws in the grass and losing them, and I kept, it was just a mess, and I, and I was getting so furious. I'd been drinking beer all morning, and it was like two o'clock in the afternoon, and you know, my gut sticking out to here, and you know how it is when you drink all day, and you're just so full, you can't, and I'm trying to bend over and pick up these screws and find out what the deal is, and I'm just, you know, my head's goddamn red, and I'm just like, I want to pass out, I feel so bad. And I looked at Chris, now Chris has been sober for two months by now, and he looked at me, he didn't say, bud, you need AA. He didn't say anything stuff. He looked at me, and with words I will never forget, he said, you know, you don't have to live like this anymore. You don't. And it was all it took. You see, I was ready to be done with it, you see. And little did I know that when I sobered up, I would be changed and I would be new. And I would be what I wanted to be all along, you see. I got three little kids that when I get home tonight, I mean, they hang on me like little chiggers. They just grab hold of me, you know, like this. And it's just the coolest deal to be there. This beast of a woman that I couldn't stand to be in the room with. I just was convinced that it was just a nightmare. I adore this woman and cannot wait to be in the same room with her. I cannot wait to be there, you see? Could I do that on my own? No, no. I did it because I was willing to submit to a simple program of action which guaranteed that God would take care of me. And when I get up in the morning, I know that my work will be okay because God's taking care of it. I know that my family will be okay. I know that the guys that I've had the pleasure to sponsor will be okay. You see, and it is my fervent prayer. It is my prayer that every one of you guys will do this same stuff and that you will go through this and submit to that process. you got somebody giving you grief, you tell them to fuck off, okay? Do not let somebody deter you. Some old-timers wanting to take cheap shots at you at a meeting, tell them to screw off. Do not let anybody deter you from the truth that this book carries. Because the truth that it carries to you will enable you to carry a message that could save hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives. The coolest thing about you young bucks out here, you bulletproof guys out here doing the deal, you're 19, 20, 25 years old. God bless every one of you. Think how many hundreds of people you can help with the message that only you can carry. There's men and women I'll never reach. We don't connect. But you will. There's young people everywhere dying of this deal, and they won't listen to an old fart like me. They won't. But they'll listen to a cool dude like you. They will, you see. And for once in your life to be able to get up in the morning and sit on the edge of your bunk and take a deep breath and know, and know 
that God is good and that my life has meaning today, that I have a purpose. And my purpose is to help another man on this earth. My purpose is to be out there to change lives. Could there be anything sweeter in God's green earth? I think not. I love every one of you guys. Um, and I cannot wait to come back to this place uh, in a couple of years. Um, I'll come on my own ticket this time so you guys don't have to pay to get us here. <laughs> but I cannot wait to see this stuff. And like Chris said last night, I am at your beck and call. I'll do anything I can to help you. I'll do anything except loan you money. I don't have any money at all. I love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for letting us come.